Amen. Let's just go ahead and let's open with a word of prayer. If you'll bow with me. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I pray that you watch over us as uh, we read your word together as a church, as a family. And Father, I just pray that everything we do uh, glorifies you and uh, that you are overjoyed with our worship to you. So Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I find myself uh, wondering, uh, more than I probably should, uh, what life is like in prison. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm highly uh, enamored uh, by that thought. I've watched uh, YouTube videos of what life is like in prison. Uh, about a month ago, I was visiting uh, Bob at the hospital as he was getting ready to have his surgery, um, and in walked uh, an inmate uh, with his chains and everything, uh, his cuffs, and with his guard. And everybody's looking at this guy like he is a celebrity, uh, myself uh, included, as just just it's not what we were uh, expecting. And uh, me personally, I don't want to spend an extended amount of time in prison, but don't judge me for this. But I wish I could just spend 24 hours in prison and see what it is like. Am I the only one? A a am I nuts? Is there anyone else like me who just wants to you know, spend 24 hours and see? All right, I, I guess I am the outlier here. Uh, today, uh, we're talking, you guys may be wondering, why in the world are you talking about prison? Uh, today, we're going to be uh, talking about a guy who knows what it's like to be in prison. In the scriptures, he was in prison twice, and many believe that he was actually uh, later in prison a third time. So, so he certainly knew what it was like in his day and age, which would have been completely different, what it would have been like to be put in prison. And this man is Paul. And we talk about Paul as we begin a new series on the book of Ephesians called Living Like a Saint. So we're going to be spending uh, about 10 weeks in the book of Ephesians alone. We're going to be going verse by verse. The first time we're doing a series like this where we're just going to plow through a book of the Bible. Now, the book of Ephesians, so you can start looking for the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I still remember as a kid, uh, my younger sister, as we were trying to memorize uh, the books of the Bible in the order, and I uh, always got stuck with, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, what one comes next? She said, girls eat pretty cakes. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Girls eat pretty cakes. So if you're ever wondering that order, just remember girls eat pretty cakes. And so Ephesians. Ephesians is a very highly regarded book. It's been called the queen of the epistles. It's been called the quintessence of Paulinism. It's been called the divinest composition of man, the crown of Paulinism, and more. This one short six-chapter book sums up in large measure the leading themes of the Pauline epistles or the letters written by Paul. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a, a well-known uh, preacher of our faith, a well-known uh, evangelist, had to say this about the book of Ephesians. The epistle to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. It is, in the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. and the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Whosoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. 
So needless to say, this is a very highly regarded book of the scriptures. And as we dive through this book verse by verse, we will see that there is a constant theme, a constant calling for us to live like a saint. So, we're, so our focus, so kind of our, our background theme throughout uh, this series is living like a saint. And so without further ado, we're just going to go ahead, we're going to jump right in to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be starting off in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and it reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this book of Ephesians, it's one of the 13 books of the New Testament that is written by the apostle Paul. Paul grew up a Jew, and uh, as he was growing up, and, and this Christian movement was spreading like wildfire, Paul, he actually persecuted Christians. He saw that Christians would be put to faith because they believed that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. Well, later on in his life, he had a vision of the Lord Jesus, and in this miraculous vision, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was indeed the Christ, and so he completely turned his life around, and Paul served as a great apostle. You can make the point, we talked about this last week in talking about Timothy, but you can make the point that Paul is arguably the most important apostle in all of history. And I mentioned earlier in the service at the beginning when talking about prison uh, that Paul was imprisoned twice in the scriptures. And both times that he was imprisoned revolved around him spreading the gospel message. I mean, that is just a society and culture that is so far away from us. I cannot imagine being put in prison uh, because we are sharing the gospel message with others. I, I, I only briefly had uh, that, that idea once. I was thinking about that earlier today, actually, in the service. I was thinking about the message. I actually had this idea once. I thought that, hey, maybe I'm going to be uh, put in prison. If you remember, when we first started worshiping out in the front yard here, uh, right after COVID, all of a sudden, uh, a cop comes driving in our driveway, and I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going to prison. But you know, it's worth it. It, it, it is worth the calling to spread this gospel message. And so here twice, Paul was thrown in prison because he was spreading this gospel message. And the second time that he was in prison, he was sent over to Rome to appeal before Caesar. And while over in Rome, he was put under house arrest for two full years. And while under house arrest, he was able to welcome people into his home, and he was able to share the gospel message with them. And then also, while he was under house arrest, he was able to write letters. And Paul wrote four biblical letters while in house arrest. And those four books are Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and you guessed it, Ephesians. And so that's important for us to remember as we continue to study this book of the Bible, this letter that Paul wrote, that it is in the setting, the theme that he is in house arrest. He, he has been put in uh, jail, in, in, in essence, uh, as prison was kind of seen as a transition into their whatever punishment that uh, they would receive. 
And so he is over in house rest in Rome. And this was, would have been around 60 to 62 AD. So this is about 30 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and later ascended into heaven. And so that's the very first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. That lets us know that Paul is the writer of this letter. And then first verse continues, it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So this book, this letter that Paul wrote is to people over in Ephesus, the saints over in Ephesus. And Paul previously spent two years in Ephesus, so he would have had a relationship with the people that he is writing to. We can actually read about uh, the time that Paul spent in Ephesus in uh, Acts chapter 19. And you can kind of summarize his time in Ephesus uh, with these couple verses, Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. You don't need to uh, go there yourself, but if you just listen, it reads, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, the way is another way to refer to the Christians, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So that's what Paul did for two years. He was preaching boldly the message of the kingdom of God. That was the message that was put on his heart. That was the message that was in the heart of Jesus and his followers. So he's writing this letter uh, uh, an X number of years after he spent time in Ephesus preaching this gospel message. And he's writing to the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is quite an impressive city. It's in modern-day Turkey on the western coast, and Bible times is referred to as Asia. If you have the map of Ephesus, you can go ahead and uh, pull that up. If you see in the middle there, uh, there, there's Turkey on that side, there's Greece, and then way on the left there, that is Italy, modern-day Italy. And Ephesus there is in the middle there uh, on the western coast of what was then referred to as Asia. Now uh, it's known as Turkey. And so Ephesus was a very important port city. According to history.com, uh, Ephesus was once considered the most important Greek city and the most important trading center in the Mediterranean region. It was also home uh, to the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world. So again, this is not a little podunk village uh, that Paul is writing a letter to. This is a big time city that Paul is addressing this letter to. In this big time city, it was mostly filled with pagans. It was mostly filled with people who did not have a living faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus. However, a number of years prior, Paul brought the gospel message to Ephesus and made the city a center of evangelism for a few years, which would have been such a crucial city to establish a center of evangelism because a lot of people would have been traveling to Ephesus as it was an important port city, and a lot of people would have been traveling from Ephesus as they were going to their destination. And now Paul was not just writing this letter to anybody in Ephesus, but specifically to the saints that are over in Ephesus. And now a saint is someone who is sanctified. A saint is someone who is set apart, someone who is holy. 
And so a saint should live differently than the rest of the world since they are set apart for God's special purposes. And so as a result, every single follower of Jesus Christ is a saint as we are set apart from the rest of the world. And so if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a saint. A lot of times we, we reserve the word saint for a special people in the church. But no, it's a common day term for people who have a living and active faith in Jesus Christ and his heavenly father. And so repeat after me, I am a saint. That's who you are. Say it again. I am a saint. And just for kicks and giggles, one more time. And now turn to your neighbor and say, you are a saint. <laughs> that is who you are. Gone with our old identity as sinners. We are no longer defined by our sin. That, that is such a huge deal. That's not who you are anymore. Now you are a saint. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are separated from the rest of the world. And so Paul here, he's writing to the Christians or to the saints over in Ephesus. But unlike a lot of uh, different letters that Paul wrote, Paul is not writing about specific issues uh, that uh, the saints over in Ephesus are dealing with. It's really a general letter of theology and how we should live our lives as saints. And so everything that we read here in the book of Ephesians, it can be directly applied to our lives today in the 21st century. I mean, that is crazy. You're not going to find many writings that are 2,000 years old and directly apply to us today. Let me tell you, the word of God is living and active. Can I get an amen? And so that is Paul to the saints who are in Ephesus. And again, you are a saint gone with your old identity as a sinner. That's not who you are anymore. You are not identified by your sin. We, we still have sin in our life. That, that, that's, that's a misconception. We still have sin. We still make mistakes. But that's not how we are defined anymore. We're defined as saints of the living God. And so Paul continues in this letter. And in verse 3, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So let's break this uh, section down. Paul talks uh, a lot in just these uh, couple of verses here. So verse three, Paul says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should make people stop and think a minute. Jesus has a God. Jesus has a father. Absolutely. Jesus has the same God that you and I have. He has the same heavenly father that you and I have as Jesus is in submission to his God. Jesus, as he's praying on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so they are on two different levels here. Jesus, the Son, Jesus, the Christ, and God, the Father, as Jesus still has a God. 
And, and the, the fancy uh, theological term uh, that we refer to this is subordinate. Jesus is subordinate to God, that he's not on the same level as God. All of the earliest church fathers believed that Jesus was indeed subordinate to God the Father. It wasn't until a later date, uh, a lot of people recognize like the Council of Nicaea in 325, where things started to shift. And all of a sudden, Jesus is no longer subordinate to God. But if we look back uh, to the scriptures, Jesus does still indeed have a God. And that uh, recognizes that they are not on uh, the same level there. And so God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is blessing you today as we speak. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And if we continue, it talks about how God chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so before God in the beginning, in Genesis chapter one, when God formed the heavens and the earth, before that, God chose you. God chose you to be holy before, there, before God ever even formed the earth or the heavens. God had you in mind. That is powerful. That is awesome that thousands of years ago, God had you in mind. And that gives you power. That gives you value value. Not only did he just have you in mind, but he chose you. He chose you to be holy. Holy is just the fancy church term to be set apart. God chose you before the foundations of the world to be set apart from everything else, to be different, to be holy, to be a saint. God chose you to be a saint before the foundation of the world. Now, there's a number of different ways uh, that we can uh, look at this passage when, when we read uh, in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Uh, you can interpret, interpret this to mean that God chose specific people to be holy and God chose specific people not to be holy. Uh, this is kind of like a Calvinistic uh, sort of idea. Or you can also interpret it to mean that God chose everybody uh, to be holy, but only some people accept that calling to be holy. As we know, as we, as we look around the world today, not everybody is holy. Not, not everybody is living as a saint. And so did, did God just call some people to be holy, or did God call everybody to be holy, and only some answered his calling? I'll let you interpret that how uh, you see fit. Uh, not super important for us in the grand uh, scheme of things. And so likewise, as we continue in verse 5 here, as we read, Paul says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Because that's one of the blessings of the crucifixion. As Jesus died on that cross, as he paid for our sins, we could be the sons and daughters of God. We are his sons and daughters through adoption. It's another very common misconception in, in Christian circles, uh, I believe, is that, that a lot of people think that, that we are born with this right. We are born with this privilege to be the children of God, 
When I read through the scriptures, that's not what I'm reading. Instead, what I read is that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we are accepted as the adopted children of God. It's a blessing. It's a right. It's a privilege. And unfortunately, really unfortunately, a lot of people in this world don't want to accept that blessing to be the, the child of God. Everybody that you come into contact with is the creation of God. But if you have a living and active faith in Jesus, if you accept his sacrifice on the cross, then you are adopted as sons and daughters of God. You are the child of God. Let me tell you, that makes you different. That makes you special. That makes you a saint, a saint of God, a child of God through Jesus Christ. It's only made possible through Jesus Christ and the crucifixion. And so if we continue here in verse 7, Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood. That's, in, that's Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you're anything like me and you read through that uh, one time, uh, you're like, what? What, what, what did uh, Paul just write here? This is a one big, long uh, sentence uh, that we just read there. And with such a long sentence, uh, it can be kind of confusing as to what exactly Paul is portraying here. So let's break this down uh, a bit as well. Start off in verse 7. Paul says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. With the idea of redemption, when, when we talk about redeem or redemption, we're, we're talking about something being paid for. And so here Paul says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Our forgiveness of our sins was paid for by the blood of Jesus. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased with the price, and that price is the precious blood of the lamb, the precious blood of Jesus. And with this redemption, we have forgiveness. We have the beautiful gift of forgiveness. Some of us may gloom too long on our sin. We may, we may contemplate on it day and night, and we may be, be filled with the self-guilt as we partake in this sin. I think there's somebody in here who needs to hear. I don't know who it is, but you need to hear that your sins have been forgiven. Your sins, the, the, the consequences of your sins, the wages of your sin, which is death, that has been paid for in Christ Jesus. So no longer do we have to gloom on our sin. Instead, I, I think a healthy habit would be to recognize your sin, to ask God for forgiveness from your sin, to repent from your sin, and then move on from your sin. Because you have been forgiven. I don't care what you have done in your past. If you ask for forgiveness, and you repent from that sin, you have been forgiven of your sin. No reason for us to gloom for so long 
on the sins that we have committed in the past. And this forgiveness that we have, Paul says in verse 7, it's all according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So this great gift of forgiveness that you and I have received from Christ Jesus, ultimately from God through Christ Jesus, it's all a result because of the grace that God has for us. I love that word lavish, as he has lavished his grace on us. He has poured his grace upon us. As we don't deserve it, we don't deserve forgiveness. We all deserve to die for our sins. But because of the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of grace that he lavished and poured out onto all of us, we have been forgiven. Can I get an amen? What a beautiful, beautiful gift that is. And so continue, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this mystery of God's will has been revealed in Christ Jesus and all, we, we, we begin to understand through Christ Jesus that all things are going to be united in him. All things in both heaven and on earth. And I look forward to that beautiful, beautiful day when this comes to fruition. When all things really will be united through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And until that day comes into fruition, we have got to live like a saint. Got to live like a saint. As God has called us and God has wanted us before he formed the heavens and the earth. He called you to be holy. He called you to be a saint. In church, we need to rise to the occasion. Our lives have got to look different from those outside of the church. As we have got to fulfill our identity as a saint, as that separates us from the rest of the world. That doesn't mean we don't interact uh, with the rest of the world. Jesus, and when, when we read through uh, the different gospel message, uh, different gospel books, and as uh, it's really been brought to light in me in, in our ladies' Bible study Tuesday, Tuesday morning, uh, we're watching uh, The Chosen, a series all about the life and ministry of Jesus. And in this series, it really brings to light the truth that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus interacted with the world. He had a following. He had people believe that he was uh, the Christ. But even before people professed him as the Christ, he was eating with them. He was spending time with them. He went over to their houses. He was breaking bread with them. And he was truly a friend of sinners. And so just because we are called to be saints, just because we are called to be different from the rest of the world, that doesn't mean we isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. Instead, in the midst of a city, we shine bright like a light to those around us. We show them in action the blessings, the privilege it is to be the child of God. And if we do that, if we do that together 
as a church. If we fulfill this identity as being a saint, someone who is different from the rest of the world, then one day, there is a day coming. No man knows that day or hour, but there is a day coming. I will stand here and I will promise you that the day is coming when Christ is going to come back from heaven and descend from heaven to earth. And when he does that, every single saint in all of mankind history is going to rise from the grave, from perishable to imperishable, and we will all be united through Christ Jesus. That is what's at stake for us today. So we've got to learn to live like a saint. You pray with me. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. Father, we thank you for the blessing, the privilege, and honor it is to be recognized as your child. That we are your children. As a father, I pray that collectively we as a church here at North Hills, I pray that we fulfill that identity as your child. I pray that we fulfill that identity as your saint, that we are different from the world and that we shine bright on a hill, that we show the world around us that you love us, that you have a love and care for the world. So Father, we love you. I pray that you work wondrous works in and through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.